Hello strangers and welcome to episode 29 of the podcast about films called Strangers in a Cinema Hello. with me Paul Anderson and that a voice over there is Mr Pete Wall. Yes we are back, we are back in short order after episode 28 with this episode 29. We are now Paul officially weekly am I right? We said we'd do it and we've done it. We're, we're doing this It thing. does mean that I've seen you in this capacity twice this week yeah twice the um, same week and long may it continue man because uh, we're on it now we've been talking for a long time about how we want to see the show more regularly and we are now actually doing that instead of every three and a half weeks regular is sort of misfiring clockwork we are actually going to be back um, every Monday we'll put the show out um, if not late Sunday night so you can rely on it if you have a commute to work on a, on a Monday morning enjoy the strangers in your what's ears what's better way Pete to start your week than to listen to our dulcet tones in your eardrums absolutely man absolutely so yeah we're excited about the future we've got lots of ideas we've got lots of new stuff to bring to the show but for today's episode of course we are going to complete our regular regular walk through the cinema experience yes, but before we do that i want to Go. drop in a quick service announcement anyone that's familiar with the history of strange in the cinema will probably remember that we started out as an independent short film review website now, for many reasons, that's kind of gone to the wall. The website doesn't exist anymore. Um, and well, let's, let's be let's be frank, Paul. Some scumbag is trying to sell us the site domain back for like a thousand pounds, which is not going to happen. As much as we're both ballers, we don't really want to spend a thousand. You know, we are committed our, to the website on our domain. Yeah, it's gonna. We're thinking it's going to be relaunched. It's just going to be relaunched, maybe with a, a couple of tweaks here and there, and uh, in the future. However, what we are going to do is go back to our roots a little bit, and as well as the kind of sort of the feature reviews that we do, we're going to drop in every once in a while. We're going to drop in some short films that excite us. So we yeah. will look back over the box apologies to the guys we haven't got back to we haven't we apologize that's yeah. where we are but we're going to try and drop in some more short films into the mix yeah. um we're not going to drop in everything that we see it's going to have to have excited us for us to want to talk about it we're going to drop a few yeah more and it's, it's there, something so. both of us have passion for you know we, we were involved with the short film world for, for a long time and so it'll be great to bring that back into the fold yeah. and just add to the whole strangers experience so that you're not just getting your like hollywood features and maybe your, your niche uh, genre films that we that we review on the show but you're also going to get these smaller independent short film or even feature films but on a budget Reviews that you know will now have the time and yeah. the opportunity to, to so talk throw them about. at us. If you listeners out there have seen something you think we might be interested in, then certainly chuck it our way and we'll, we'll check it out. But without further ado, um, I think we'll that, to the I think that phrase is without further ado. But I'll let I'll let you go. Let you without go further ado, ado. <laughs> you know, and you know, you know what I'm like with names. You know, my pronunciation can be terrible at times. Uh, we don't all teach English, Pete. That's all I can say to that one, really. <laughs> So um, yeah, which takes us to the um, to the format of the show, which is as you should be well aware by now. And actually, as we're now going weekly, we'll probably spend less time explaining the format every episode. Uh, which was, I think, two people's criticisms have been: I really know the format now, Paul. Uh, I don't need to hear it again. Yeah. But we're going to tell you if it again you anyway, don't. very briefly, just in case you if don't. If you don't, um, we're going to have a trip to the popcorn counter. We're going to do some coming attractions, which is talking about sort of films that are coming out in the near future. Uh, the feature reviews this week I think we're going to do Jackie or Jackie as I have no idea why I keep saying it that way inexplicably Paul's decided that that's the way that he's going to say the title of that film people that I work with um, at Richer Sounds just like plugged to my employer there uh, I've got sick of me going Jackie this week but my manager I know listen to the show and a nod to you has also picked up doing it so Richer Sounds in Cheltenham there's people running around saying Jackie a lot 
Yeah. Anyway, so a feature review of Pablo Ren's Jackie. Yeah, if, if for people that don't know, which I think is, is next to no one, but that is the biopic of Jackie Kennedy, of course, the wife of JFK, who was assassinated in uh, the early 1960s um, and a massive part in American history. Um, in addition, though, we're going to do the, uh, well, at least Paul's review of Split, which I'm yet to catch up with to my, uh, to my great shame. So I will be firing questions his way when we get to that part of the show. Uh, after that, we wrap it up with credits, where we give credit to whatever the hell we want, as long as it relates to film. I yes. think is essentially the, the remit for that thing. So uh, recently, yeah, we've done all manner of different things in the film world that we think just people should pay attention to and you know give a bit more attention to whatever it might be that's filmic and interesting. Um, for now, though, Paul, you, why don't you step yourself up to the popcorn counter and review whatever film it is that you think uh, has popped your way and has been of some interest? Well, as you're probably aware, regular listeners will be aware, I do quite like my niche horror films. I like my silly slasher films. Um, and one caught my eye on the second-hand Blu-ray counter, which was uh, Slaughterhouse. Rick Rosler, I believe you pronounce his name, probably wrong. Uh, but his film from 1987. Um, as I said, the film is called Slaughterhouse. Now... Occasionally, I'll try and wrap up the film myself and tell you a bit about it. But in this case, I think the back of the box does a job much better than I can. So... You've got it to hand. Basically, I'm going full-on lazy. I'm going to read you the back of the box and then give you a brief opinion of what I thought of it. So, if you love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Hills Have Eyes, then you are sure to pick out with the sicko shocks of 80s fright favourite Slaughterhouse. I'm not sure whose favourite it was, but it was a fright favourite. This corpse-ridden classic introduces one of Screen's most memorable madmen. Okay. Dubious. Uh, Buddy, a cleaver-wielding backwards backwoods baddie who, along with his father Lester, doesn't take kindly to trespassers. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, indeed. Buddy was brought up killing and packing meat, but now his rage turns to teens and market capitalists seeking to buy out his dad's property. I mean, it's this is what I mean. Why, why would I come up with something to say myself when I've got this gold in front of me? I'm not finished though. Okay. The end result is a tongue-in-cheek terror totem that returns from the VHS vaults to Blu-ray in this great new HD master scanned from the original negative by director Rick Rossler. Oh, there's your boy. So, um, yeah, looking at the front of that thing, it looks a little bit like the artwork from The Thing. It looks a bit like the the backlighting of Texas Chainsaw. We've had that name dropped into the description as well. Those are big shoes to fill, big, horrible, blood-soaked shoes. Is this a success in any discernible way? For genre fans, Slaughterhouse has some promising moments and is quite good fun. Um, Again, it has the tagline of Buddy has an axe to grind, a big axe, which is partly why I picked it up. Um, The character of Buddy is not quite as memorable as the back of the Blu-ray box will have you think. I, I um, kind of imagine that put Paul going into the place and saying, have you have you got anything big axe related? Or, alternatively, have you got anything where somebody starts with meat and ends with teens? Because uh, <laughs> you know, that's the logical progression for, you know, your meat enthusiasts. Uh, it's, it's fun in places. Um, heads are popped, uh, you know, the axes are slashed and the gore is there. Um, mm. And it's it starts better than it ends. I think it, it's starts out being amusing it's like it's kind of light-hearted for a horror film um the texas chainsaw massacre influence is is pretty obvious from from start to finish um it degenerates unfortunately into a less than exciting climax um and is certainly not the classic uh, that this description i've just lo- so lovingly read you uh, makes it out to be right. one for genre completion this only 
Okay, and this is one where maybe turn off the lights and watch it on your own and sort of heighten the experience, presumably, right? It sounds uh, I, that kind of I did that, business. Um, and it wasn't particularly scary. But okay. um, yeah, take from that what you will. If if you're into your niche horrors, then then give it a watch. Well, incidentally, I think I think I told you not too long ago, Paul, that um, I once put myself through the ordeal of watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre on a Halloween night on the top of a skyscraper in South Korea. Uh, drinking red wine on a on a site where I believe that the number of years previous someone had jumped to their own uh, self-imposed death. Okay. Uh, chilling. Um, I don't reckon that listeners to this need to go that far for their horror kicks. But I can't yeah. imagine anyone has probably sat on a rooftop in Korea and watched uh, Slaughterhouse. Um, no. 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 Stick some headphones in, watch it in the dark maybe, but yeah, like you say, maybe just one for real gore enthusiasts. Yes, um, absolutely. And fans of sort of 1980s slashes. Yeah. Um, Moving on from that slice of horror to another one, I caught up with The Forest, which is Jason Zarda's directorial debut. This thing's available to stream on Netflix at the moment. Um, It was intriguing to me for the reason that uh, the premise is based around the idea of the... um, Japanese, it's called something like the Forest of the Dead or something, you know. Or... This just before before you get into it, this strikes me as one of those films. You know when? Do you remember when the Descent came out mm. and then Hollywood made the Cave? Mm. Or like it, it strikes me as like so Blair Witch has come out or some or the the latest Blair Witch film came out. Yeah, and then some other studio's gone. Oh, the Blair Witch is out. Mm. We'll pump out a horror film just a generic horror film set in a forest is it that kind of thing or is it better than that it's not better than that that's for sure um is it that kind of thing yes it, it is that kind of thing i mean there, there are a lot of comparisons that could be made to the blair witch because you have uh the character lead character played by natalie dormer that i know from hunger games but i believe game, game of, of thrones, thrones yeah. as well which Princess i, I have seen which is you know I, I need to catch up and the idea is that she has a twin sister they're connected in the sense that she believes that if her sister's in peril or has been killed, she will feel it physically. And her sister has gone away to work as an English teacher in, in Japan. I've previously done a very similar thing in Asia. So, uh, yeah, that's where it sort of chimed with me and got, got me interested. She goes off to Japan to see if her sister is, in fact, alive. Um, her sister's gone into the forest where people go to end their own lives. And apparently she's told the forest has this kind of mystical pull over people where if you stumble into the forest, you'll soon get to a point where you feel like like bringing yourself to an end. Um, very dark themes emerging on the Strangers in Cinema podcast this week. But um, <laughs> yes, the reason this thing to me sort of falls on its face, trips over a bit of root in the forest and falls into some mud is just because... Yes, we get the setup. Yes, we get the sort of cherry-picked J-horror influences and the, you know, creepy schoolgirls in school uniforms standing around and appearing from nowhere. But And Natalie Dormer's perfectly capable as a lead. The script just is, is too weak to, to really bring any more tension than your regular run-of-the-mill jump scares. You know, she'll turn around, somebody will be very close to her, and then there's a loud noise and you feel nervous or unsettled by that. It gets daft. Um, you think there's going to be a really cool twist near the end, and then that again sort of fizzles out. Uh, recently, Paul, you gave me the opportunity to play the new Resi, the Resident Evil Seven in in VR, and um, oh, that is that's a whole podcast in itself. Yeah, I mean that that's a great deal more chilling than this. Um, but you've got similar stuff here with just kind of murky environments and low lighting, but it's not enough. 
And finally, when it gets into its third act, you're kind of just waiting for it to end. It, it was frustrating to me. It was almost a bit offensive when you're doing your jump scares, that's fine. When you're doing them based around suicides, uh, it felt unearned. Um, a bit like, do you remember that thing, um, The Cell with Jennifer Lopez? Yes. There was a scene in The Cell where someone was suspended by meat hooks and like masturbating or something. And I thought like, this is so out of place and so unearned that I just, I've, I've tuned out, I've switched off to what you're doing. And similar, I'm not saying that that happens in this, but a similar kind of switching off happened about half of the way through. Maybe I should have switched off and I didn't. I got to the end of it, but yeah, little so to it recommend. it sounds to me like Slaughterhouse might be better than The Forest. I, from what you said, man, I'll have to check it out, but I would think so. Yeah, I would think that there's probably more fun to be had with Slaughterhouse than this. And it's a shame because I think Natalie Dormer is a, a strong actress and she'll be much better in, in other things, but not here. Um, yeah, take us out of this murky forest, get us somewhere else. Well, we continuing got. the fairly dark tone that this episode has taken on so Let's far. Let's just go with it, man. Um, I started, you know, it's, it's quite nice having, it's quite nice re-watching films at times, re-watching films from, from many years ago. And um, I say many years ago, in, in the grand scheme of films, American History X isn't that, older isn't that old, an older film. But I haven't watched it for a long, long time. Mm. Um, so it's Edward Norton, Edward Furlong. Yeah, Edward Norton, right? Edward Furlong. And... It, it pleases me to say it's lost none of its none of its power. So the, the, for those people who haven't seen this yet, and it has been out for a long time, but what's the basic premise of American? So American History X basically it kind of you've got Edward Norton in possibly a career best performance, I think perhaps mm. um, as kind of this lieutenant in this neo-Nazi gang. Um, he goes to jail for his horrific murders of two black guys who he thinks maybe Jack in his car, um, leaving his brother uh, kind of still tied up with the neo-nazi gang um, and, and quite a lot younger brother right? yeah yeah, yeah quite so a edward character, yeah. Yeah. um edmund norton comes out of jail has seen the errors of error of his ways and kind of tries to try to get his brother out out of that lifestyle mm. um it seems like a timely it seems like a good time to rewatch the film with with a lot of what's going on in american politics at the sure. moment um and as i said it's just it's still it's still a fantastic watch mm. it's Ed, edward norton's character is is very well constructed um what's interesting actually is watching uh, american history x having since having this is england since being released and mm. the character of combo in this is england um, yeah right clearly owes a lot to edward norton's character in american history x yeah because in this is england of course he has been released from prison has been involved yeah. in the skinhead sort of far-right movement in the uk and then uh tries to sort of hold down all his violent impulses and they yeah explode out in, in one of the most memorable scenes from from mm. that film and a film that i think we both like a lot so yeah i mean going back to this because you brought it up on the show i it's one of those films i think that, that sits in a sort of canyon for me between being something that i really really love and something that i i'm kind of a bit ambivalent about because i remember the the conclusion of the film leaving me feeling that it was a little bit a little bit trite and a little bit tidy is that unfair? well it's interesting you say that because there is there, there was a lot of um drama at the time i believe tony k was either sacked or walked off the film who's the the, the, the credited director mm. there is a rumor that edward norton i think finished the film offset in the editing suite and I believe, and I'm sure that I think the original ending might be out there somewhere online as, as to what it was going to be. I believe the original ending was going to be different. Mm. Um, I personally very much like the end. I think it, I think it packs a hell of a punch. But I can see why some people might see that it's slightly overdramatic when the rest of the film is actually very grounded. Yeah. Um, so I could, I can see. I don't 
personally feel that that's, that's a criticism I can stand by, but I can understand why people would have that criticism. Yeah, well. yeah. well, it will certainly probably propel me to go back and watch it again mm. and see how it... Because often you need that distance, I think, from a film like this. And when you do go that's, back to it... That's what I mean. Viewing, it's, quite, it's quite nice. It's quite nice going back to it after many, many years. And also, I sort of watched it with my girlfriend who'd never seen it. So watching a film like that with someone who hasn't seen it is great. Mm. Um, and it was al- it's almost been so long that it was almost like watching it for the first time it's it's um, only unfortunate i remember a, a time when a group of us got uh, one of the, the guys that was with his girlfriend to watch a film a bit like yourself to watch a film for the first time and it was the usual suspects and mm. we were so excited to see the reaction of this new person yeah. going in you know fresh no ideas about it hadn't read about it and so on and five minutes in she was literally five minutes in she she looked at what was going on, on the screen she said what well, is him isn't it Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. What? Okay. Well, I guess the the punch ruined. has been yeah, weakened, ruined, yes. but uh, but yeah, unless you've got that sort of preternatural skill to to guess what's going to happen at the end, then yeah, this thing's got a powerful punch. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's your next uh, popcorn film? Um, yeah. So going off on a bit of a tangent, I have picked out. Well, is it a link actually? So my first review, in so much as this is another thing from or about uh, Asian society, um, it is the documentary Under the Sun. Do you think this is this is the North documentary in North Korea, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's Do a you think this North is possibly Korea. the dreariest popcorn movies we've ever done? I don't know about dreary, but dreary is probably the wrong word. Grim, yeah, fairly grim. grim. Yeah. yeah, grim is certainly a watchword for this this documentary. It's made by a team that I believe is largely Czech, led by a director called Vitaly Mansky, and it's streaming on Netflix at the moment. So you can find it easily, at least if you're in the UK. I don't know uh, elsewhere. Vitaly Mansky, did you say? Uh, Mansky. Vitaly Mansky. Surname. Yeah. Is that the man that directed the um, the, the fantastic don't, documentary, The Anatomy of Tattoo? Don't, by any chance? Don't, don't even pretend that we. Didn't <laughs> talk about this off air but yeah when we were doing research for the show we did look back over his credits and find yes indeed the lipstick lesbian combo uh, tattoo who we all remember from the late 90s I'm sure uh, yeah had a hour long documentary directed by the same man his career has taken a strange turn because he's now yeah the head of a team who have made a documentary originally I believe um, designed as a propaganda film for the North Korean administration okay. and therefore they had access that maybe otherwise oh, wow. so it's access, wouldn't have. Yeah, there's no way anyone has uh, anyone got anywhere near as right. I close mean, to the regime as these guys are. People may or may not know but if you as a tourist, you know, you or I wanted to go to North Korea, we could potentially do it it takes a long time through applications there's places higher on my list I'll, I'll be honest but. right uh, Henry Rollins has been there I found out recently but even for someone like Henry Rollins you are escorted everywhere you're told what to look at when to look when to go back to your you know hotel and, and so on it's very very controlled and of course that's a big theme in, in the North Korean administration in general is control so the reason um, and the conceit here that makes this thing interesting is the fact that the team shoot scenes that are you know, manicured and managed within an inch of their lives, but then they leave the cameras rolling. Mm. And this is the fascinating part because you see outside of what was predetermined, you see stage management like you wouldn't believe. You Mm. see uh, a family that are at the centre of the documentary with a young daughter who is going to be enrolled into the great leader's sort of youth army, youth group, um, where the mother, for example, is given a completely different profession just because it'll suit the narrative thrust better. She's now a worker at a milk factory instead of working in a cafe. Uh, The little girl herself and her family are given stage directions for things like eating dinner 
um, they're told to espouse the nutritional values of kimchi, for example, but then the, the scene has to be reshot over and over and over again until they get it exactly right in order to deliver the message that the administration want to deliver. But the thing that sticks with me most from this documentary is a sequence towards the end where the girl has gone through this process and she's uh, been enrolled in this group and she's now you know, going to be a great uh, representative of, of young North Korean life. And um, she is then interviewed uh, where she's supposed to be sort of talking about her pride in her achievement. And when asked about what she's going to do next and what she sees in her life, she starts to cry. And off camera, you hear someone say, well, she can't cry. Stop her crying. She can't cry in this sequence. Um, so there's a, another lady there who's trying to help manage the scene. And she says, well, come on, don't cry. Think of something, think of something happy, something fun. She's got nothing. And she says, like, like what? And there's a silence, a pregnant pause, and then they say, you know, you know, just something funny, something good that happened in your life recently that you enjoyed. Nothing, nothing. She's got no reference for what fun is as a young girl. She obviously girl. hasn't listened to this podcast. Right. <laughs> it wouldn't, wouldn't be acceptable. Yeah. Um, and, and finally, this lady says, well, you know, think of like a, a poem or a song, something uplifting. And she said, oh, you mean like a recital? And then she starts reciting essentially her Pledge of Allegiance to the government wow. organised group to which she has now yeah, joined herself. Yeah, I mean, it's a subject, North Korean, um, or inside North Korea, you know, it's a subject that's really quite close to my heart and I think is a humanitarian disaster on an absolutely epic scale. If you have any interest in that, yes, it might not be the funniest uh, hour and a half that you'll no. experience this year, but along with a few other things that are floating around the place on, on Netflix and elsewhere, I would strongly recommend watching this. I think it's made with, well, because of, like I say, that, that conceit, mm. it's made in a very straight sort of um, uneditorialized way, yeah. but a way that allows you to draw your own fairly yeah, chilling up, conclusions. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That, that one's called Under the Sun and yeah, it's available now, as I say. I'll make an effort to check that out. That sounds... Well, I say awesome. It's probably the wrong word, but yeah, it sounds sounds good. Yeah. Um, which brings us to our. We're going to throw another popcorn movie in. Well, popcorn short film, in fact, as we mentioned earlier, which yeah. is um, a film called a short film horror film called Hushy Buy, mm. um, written by Mark Brennan, directed by James Weber, both friends of the show. Yeah. Well, we've actually had both James and Mark on. Um, I think episodes fifteen and sixteen, perhaps yeah. a little bit back in the back catalogue. So yeah, as Paul says, people that, that we're familiar with work that they've done, we're also familiar with them. We we tend to support because they do some mm. great stuff. This one though, set up Paul. What's what's the deal? Um, it's as I said, it's a it's a it's a very short horror film um, that packs a hell of a punch, and it's in it's I think four four to five minute runtime perhaps. Yes, yeah, but maybe maybe even um, less. basically kind of about the I imagine about the the fears of parenthood. Now, having knowing Mark quite well, I know that he has recently become a father. Mm. Um, and you know it, it's it's evident that and not being a father myself I can't directly relate to it but I think it's it's definitely based on personal experiences mm. um, it's it's atmospheric and tense from start to finish yeah well here we, we basically have a, a fairly young father maybe yeah. similar to Mark's age who knows yeah. <laughs> uh, waking up in the night going to take care of the crying baby picking up the baby and uh, trying to sort of settle the baby back down and looking for his partner for some support in this and this is where it all gets a little bit creepy right yeah. and we we'll, we'll leave it at that yeah, we're, 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 we're not going to spoil what happens but I think influences of things like poltergeist, poltergeist. Uh, there's, there's, ring. A, there's a moment there's a moment I think one particular shot that reminded me a lot of that the right one in mm. um, and it, again much like James's earlier work it, it feels like a homage rather than rather than a rip-off and I think it's yeah. 
one thing I've all one thing I've always said about about short films, hence why you know when the, the website was initially established, is actually I think a lot of people see short films as kind of like a staging ground for features. But I think there's the, it's a lot harder to make an effective short sometimes than it is to make a a feature because to build the atmosphere it builds in such a short period of time is very impressive. Mm. Um, and yeah, certainly continues the the the, the the quality of work we'd expect from James Weber in fairness. Yeah, well, I mean, mentioning earlier on uh, this Jason Zada film, The the Forest, which was dumped out in January of last year, I think in that sort of pit of films that are maybe mm. not going to do too well, but that film has 85 minutes or something like that to establish real tension and, and, and fear and scares and chills. And I think that this short film running all of three or four minutes actually does a better job for the most yeah. part. Um, yeah, got the hairs standing up on end on the back of my neck, but for sure... And so something that I think, yeah, jump in, take a look at it, and it will just leave you in that position where you want to see what these guys do next, yeah. right? And I think it, it's available online. We'll post a link to it. Springhead Films, I think, is the name of his... The, the Springhead Film Company. Yeah, the Springhead Film Company, the, company the, yeah, the, is, is what, the umbrella they're kind of working under at the moment. We'll post a link to the whole film on the Facebook page. You can see it. it's, it's up there. It's up there for people to see. Yeah, and to be fair, fans of the kind of stuff that we like, and particularly what Paul talks about with like genre horror and stuff like that, will be exactly the right audience for this yeah. short. So yeah, check, check it out for sure. And that brings us to coming attractions, which yes. is kind of films that we're excited about that are out in the near future. Yeah, that's it. We're trying to bring the focus of this thing onto releases that are going to be out within the next sort of few weeks, I, I suppose. Things that you might catch in the cinema, if not, then on... And also I think that actually makes it easier for us to remember when we featured something on coming attractions, so <laughs> we can make sure we talk about it on the podcast. It's very true. I'm sure there's films we it's might have mentioned and then forgotten about. A but a glimpse behind the curtain there, listeners. Yeah, a yeah. glimpse into the pre-production process of this... Uh, is it a lavish production? So, Paul, uh, what have you got for a coming attraction that the listeners should be interested in? This I'm going to try and do this as well as you do it. Okay. But I'm probably going to fail. The Baba Yaga. <laughs> the Baba Yaga. I think. I think <laughs> we're referring here to John John Wick. John Wick Part Two. Okay. We had John Wick. Now we got. So this is yeah Baba Yaga. Uh, the <laughs> the one they send to kill the boogeyman. See now we've got the tone a little bit. We've got we're having a bit more fun with the show now. So this um, is Keanu Reeves. Am I correct? This is Keanu Reeves. Someone may or may not have killed his dog this time. In, a, in a sequel to a film that, in fairness, I don't think anyone thought would actually be any good, and turned out to be. A pretty enjoyable piece of a action cinema. Good. A yeah. little bit good. Actually, a little bit. Actually, a bit good. Um, a very enjoyable, very funny, tongue-in-cheek piece of action cinema. Yeah, it didn't take itself too awesome seriously, right? Yeah. So uh, I'm all for a sequel, to be perfectly honest, and I'm very excited to go and see it. And can I just make your life even better, Paul, to inform you that the same director who is responsible for John Wick and now John Wick Chapter Two is also in, I believe, pre-production on John Wick Three. Oh shit! Son. So if you enjoyed that and you enjoy this, you're going to really enjoy the next one. So yeah, it was yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun, and I'm very excited. Yeah, and Keanu's always a fairly uh, magnetic persona. And again, it you know it's a kind of thing, and also it's a bit of a matrix reunion because Lawrence Fishburne's in this. Oh yeah. Um, I've got a feeling I saw a photo where Carrie Ann Moss might appear in this as well somewhere, but I might be I might have made that up. They were certainly in a photo together. Um, so it's a bit of a matrix reunion. The fight scenes were awesome. The cinematography. Was cinematography? I don't know why I'm bringing that up. The cinematography was also awesome, I think. Anyway, John Wick 2, be excited. Yes. What's your coming attraction, Pete? And that's, and that's what, like a couple of weeks away? Because the posters and stuff is, are all up now. There are previews Valentine's Day. Okay, okay. And then general release February 17th. Take your significant other, 
and get yourself a slice of John Wick. <laughs> um, for my pick this time round, I'm going for... Well, it's funny, because this kind of links back to Hushy Bai and what we were talking about before, but uh, the directorial, at least feature directorial debut of Alice Lowe. Oh, the awesome Alice Lowe. Yeah, this, is, this one is called Prevenge. I should get that title out there before I forget. Um, and Alice Lowe, you'll know from things like, um, well, acting-wise, from things like uh, Hot Fuzz, also Sightseers, which was great a few years back. And don't forget the greatest TV comedy show of all time, trademark, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah, strange. That cat just told me to leave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, here, Alice Lowe is not only the director, she's also the writer and she's also the star. Has she uh, written more scripts than she's read? <laughs> is, that would, enough, is that enough dark place jokes for I would, the, I would the hope so. yeah, yeah the, the real anyone can write words the real challenge is getting them in the right order uh, yeah so the synopsis on this one is Widow Ruth is seven months pregnant when believing herself to be guided by her unborn baby she un- embarks on a homicidal rampage dispatching anyone who stands in, in her way Done. Yeah, Alice Lowe we already know is a great comedy actress I think she's got a real flair behind the camera it seems from the early stuff I've seen from this so really excited this one um, according to my IMDB page here is going to come out well a week or so from now it's the 10th isn't it I think I um, would imagine limited but we'll wait and see whether we yeah. get a screening here please Sunny World please give it to us yeah we might have to, be great. to travel maybe to, to catch up with this one but yeah really excited for what Alice Lowe's got to offer as a director as well as an actor so um, yes that brings us on Paul to settling down in that comfy seat getting yeah. yourself all nicely positioned sticking ba, 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 your popcorn ba, ba, on the ba, floor ba, ba, and ba. Feature reviews. Feature reviews. We've got two this time round, man. Uh, as you well know, because we planned this in advance. Uh, first, and we one, already told you what was coming in the in the intro as well. So first one is <laughs> is split. So I haven't seen this yet, and you have. Therefore, I am your humble interviewer for this one, Paul. And I'm gonna okay. Ask you well, manner of questions. Um, what I was thinking here is that I could ask you a number of questions in a number of different characters. So uh, we could start with. Can I start with an apology? You can. To M Night Shyamalan. Mm. Because I made a comment when we did this in Coming Attractions. I made a comment that I thought, the trailer looks kind of intriguing, and this will probably be the last film that he ever gets to make. Right. Um, which is to give you some indication of, of what I thought of the film. I apologise, Emmett Shyamalan. Split actually isn't too bad. Okay. So I'll get that out of the way. So, I feel a bit mean. So I'm going to start with um, expectations going in, because, like I said, I haven't seen it and I want to get your take. Uh, going in, my first point of reference, I guess, on this, with the idea being that it's split personality disorder or something along those lines right is the United States Ataro which I think maybe you haven't caught up with but is uh, the Diablo Cody uh, written drama premium drama from about five or six years ago uh, which had Brie Larson, you know, remember her? What, yeah. what happened to her career after that? I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, her <laughs> and Keir Gilchrist played kids in a family headed by Tony Collette, who had multiple personality disorder and uh, took the form of lots of different characters. And really entertaining, and I liked it. And I defend Diablo Cody, no matter what you people might say. Is this a kind of tongue-in-cheek, silly split personality idea, or is it? Is there something more sinister or serious going on, is, is I guess my first question. It's it's a tongue-in-cheek kind of sort of B-roll kind of horror film with actually a really good performance from, from McAvoy mm. playing, the, playing the different personalities. Um, I'd like to... It's, I'd like to... I think it, it starts better than it ends. I think it, it's quite atmospheric. He's very good. Um, 
it drops to a whole new level of silliness by the end, by the finale. Certain things start to happen, um, which some of which are alluded to in the trailer. And then, oh my God. Like, the, the, the whole thing about doing Shyamalan having a twist ending, you're like, I'm a bit sick of that. Right. There is one, and it's amazing. Now, you have to be a film geek to get to get it but I literally said the rest of that was crap but that was amazing that was the first thing I said as I finished the film I don't mean that the film is actually the film is actually quite good fun but the twist gives a lot more context to what happens beforehand um, but I'm not going to reveal the twist I feel like you've answered more than my original question I think but, I have uh, done yes <laughs> but uh, yeah was that another character was that a split personality I can't do that character for more than that that no. was enough that was enough for me no. but uh, yeah so if I'd given up on M. Night Shyamalan, because I saw... The, I can fully understand why you would have given up on M. Night Shyamalan. I saw the happening in which we were supposed to believe that the wind in the trees meant that loads of people killed themselves. But the happening is almost so bad it's funny. Yes, but I think it's actually just enough bad that it isn't funny. And it's just quite irritating and silly. And then he goes and meets Mother Nature and we all walk around the field and go, ooh. Yeah, so... But at least the happening had that elements of so bad it's funny. Then After Earth appeared. Did you catch up with After Earth? No. That's another. That's a. That's the that Will Smith. Well? Will Smith and his son. That was. In, in the, yeah, yeah, that was a much and that was terrible as well. So anyway, sorry you were saying. So Lady in the Water, I missed. Uh, Unbreakable was okay. Uh, Signs. Unbreakable is awesome. Unbreakable is really like definitely him. not awesome. I really liked Unbreakable. Um, yeah, I mean, okay, maybe yeah, to, we're to boil we're this down to a question, yeah. Paul. Where does this sit in the canon of your boy Shyamalan? Is this top few? Is this middle? Is this bottom few? Where, where are we with this thing? Middle. Okay. Middle. It's um, it's a return. It's certainly a return to form. It's a lot better than it's a lot better than his uh, than some of his recent films. Um, yeah. It's again. It's it's kooky. It's it's over the top. It's it's entertaining. Um, mm. And again, depending on how you feel about his earlier films, will will like that will kind of make your mind up on what you think of, of the twist at the end and that's possibly pushing into spoiler territory so apologies um, but the ending made the film for me okay because it's been one of those ones I think I've been hesitant to run out and see at the cinema despite hosting a film it's a, podcast it's, it's, a sol- it's a solid genre piece there's there's a lot there's a lot worse films in that genre you could see and James McAvoy seems like he must be having a great deal of fun James McAvoy is having the time of his life playing yeah. as many different roles and he is incredibly creepy throughout so yeah again one probably one for genre fans but still there's there's a lot to like there well talking of crumbling psyches uh, our second feature review for the week Jackie is- <laughs> I've got what, to stop what, saying that. What is it about? I don't know. Where is it from? I don't know where that's from. Did it I don't come know where to it's mind? come from. And to be honest, so many questions. To be honest, it kind of feels like I'm disrespecting uh, Pablo Lorraine's Jackie, which at the moment is possibly for me the finest film I've seen so far this year. No, it is only February, I will admit, but I thought Jackie was exquisite. Pete, what did you think? Right. So, you know, to set up before I get into my own take, Jackie. I'm quite excited about it, as you can tell. But. Yeah, as we mentioned earlier on, Jackie, of course, is the the story of Jackie Kennedy in the immediate aftermath, and actually via flashback during the events of the JFK assassination, um, and centres on Natalie Portman, as I think we're all well aware now, is going to be Oscar. Well, is Oscar nominated is going to be a fairly important part of the Oscar ceremony, I'd imagine, for this performance. And I think going in, my feeling was that this might be a very sort of on the nose, um, fairly faithful, fairly reverent tale of, of you know, the, the corridors of power. 
And what we got actually was a lot more than that, wasn't it? I mean, to my mind, and Paul, come back at me on this, but to my mind, this isn't so much about American politics per se, or American, uh, the administration in America, so much as it is uh, a story about one person's existential crisis. I, I would agree with that. And I think when I, I saw the trailer and I kind of felt the same as you, I thought, well, okay, this, you know, this, this looks kind of interesting. Natalie Portman looks like she's going to put a good performance in. Uh, and then... I was just like, I know that director's name from somewhere. I was like, where do I know Pablo Rain from? Mm. And I thought back, I say I thought back, and it, I, I racked my brains, I didn't, I just looked on IMDb, and I thought, oh man, he directed a film that I saw a few years ago called Tony Monero, mm. which is about a guy, which is a very, very black comedy about a guy obsessed with Saturday Night Fever and John Travolta's character. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen Tony Monero, then seek no, it out. It's it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I haven't seen the the, the films that, in sort of that go in between yeah, I feel, Tony I feel Monero like and maybe Jackie, can... but this is a director that we need to pay more attention to. Yeah, I think maybe even um, a, a little a little marathon of his films because I mean we've got No, which is the Gail Gar- the Garcia Bernal film, which yeah. I again got a lot of attention and I just didn't catch up. Yeah. We, we've got also uh, the Club, which again rings a bell, no. but I haven't seen. We've Post got Mortem no... as well. I think is a... Post Mortem. You're right, going back five or six years, six or seven years, and we've also got Neruda about Pablo Neruda the poet. So you know, again, interesting to me and a poet that I quite like. So it feels like Pablo Lorraine is, is blind. So as soon as, as soon as, yeah, and uh, absolutely, with the exception of his, of his debut, uh, Tony Monero, it, it was a blind spot for me. And as soon as I saw he was the director, I was just like, okay, I'm I'm sold. And I think. You know, to I'm kind of it's the kind of film that I'm quite happily gush about because I came out and I was like that was just amazing. I was blown away. Like the the te- the way it's shot, the way it looks, the editing, the way he kind of messes around with like shot reverse shot and he messes around with the 180 degree rule and all those kind of technical foundations that if you've done film studies you'll probably get. Mm. Um, and it just looks it just looks fantastic and is so well shot. And yeah. Portman's performance is superb. I mean, such interesting use of um, well, you've got like a, a framing device because during the the setup, Natalie Portman as um, Jackie Kennedy is being interviewed um, for a story that's going to run about her in the aftermath of her husband's assassination. Mm. But then from that interview, we see that there's a sort of um, uh, anta- sort of an antagonism between the interviewer and her in which she doesn't really want to give any information on record. So even when she lets her guard drop and lets out some bit of, you know, emotional response, she immediately says, well, that's not going on the record. Of course, Mm. you're not going to publish that. That's not going to go out. I am going to give you the story and the story is going to run in the way that I want it to run. Right. So it's very like controlled and and stage managed. But um, yeah, the later we get on in this thing, the more that it seems to just be about what it is like to be isolated and what it's like to fear that the things that you surround yourself with may not actually be shields against the pain that can hit you at any moment from almost any direction yeah. and in this case you know from an unseen shooter in an unseen no, I'd building completely agree you know? that. It's, it's not the film I think it's not the film a lot of people expected it would be and that's a very good thing mm. and we should mention Paul that uh, towards the end we have a, a really staggering is it John Hurt's final film I've got a feeling it may be the way that release schedules work I would imagine not just because I think that there's usually stuff that's yeah. been made that will come out you know a year or two years down the line but yeah there's a sequence with John Hurt who plays a, a vicar a man of the cloth who speaks with Jackie Kennedy 
Um, they sort of seem to be walking down tree-lined paths the whole time, and talks with her about what what happens when you realise that maybe there's nothing beyond the things that surround you, or maybe when you feel like faith is failing you, or maybe when you feel like hope is failing you, and to see a guy who's just so sadly passed away, although you know in his late 70s, so sadly passed away and such a beloved actor, deliver this fantastic performance and such a poignant mm. series of lines was it really, really hit me quite hard in, in the, the screening that we went to. But I think it's, and it, it does hit quite hard, but it also makes the film that much more an interesting prospect because I think, as, as we said when we came out, we're like, okay, here we go again, we've got an interview and they're going to go back to the life and she's going to talk to the interviewer and then she's going to maybe um, you know open up to the interviewer at the end. And then it kind of, it, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't do that. But then you've got the interest, the addition of John Hurt's priest character, which just makes it all the more interesting mm. um, and just excuse it away from your traditional kind of historical biopic for want of a for want of a better description yeah um and it's just i i, I absolutely love the film we, we I, should mention some of the other performances as well i mean mm. the the journalist that i mentioned with the, the billy kudrup isn't it is billy kudrup yeah which i think is one of the strongest performances in the film I mean, really really good. i don't think he's an actor that often gets a, a chance to shine and i think he, he does get a chance to shine and he really really embraces it in this film yeah i mean he has to be so sort of pared down and controlled but at the same time, yeah, some of the the best dialogue in the film, I think, takes place between his character and, and Natalie Portman's. Then we've got uh, Greta Gerwig, which, you know, slightly against type, really. Greta Gerwig here playing a straight role, um, not a sort of kooky uh, up-and-comer in New well, York bohemian. trying to find <laughs> yeah. her way, Yeah, which is where we see her a lot. As much as she is, I think, a really really strong actress, she plays the aide to Jackie Kennedy. We've also got Peter Sarsgaard as I love Peter Sarsgaard. Bobby Just, there's, there's so many roles, I think, that would have been better with Peter Sarsgaard in. Mm. Um, and Richard E. Grant. And Richard E. Grant, of course. Yeah, yeah, where, some... When he first came on screen, I was racking my brain, yeah. like, who is this? Oh, of course, it's Richard E. Grant, yeah. Uh, really interesting to see him back as well. Oh, Beth Grant as well, I should mention, who is, of course, I'm beginning to question your commitment to Sparkle Vision from Donnie Darko. Uh, we've oh, seen her in yes, like, of course. loads yeah, yeah. and loads of, yeah. of comedic roles, and here she, she crops up again, and she is playing the wife of the incumbent, the, the mm. new president who takes JFK's yeah. place. And uh, yeah, just a, a range of really, really strong performances. But as, as Paul's mentioned, as I've mentioned as well, I think that the thing that really marks Jackie out is the the way that it resonates on an emotional level yeah. above and beyond. Because there were scenes in this where I thought about something at the complete other end of the scale, like you know, that god-awful um, Naomi Watts Diana biopic. I still haven't did. caught up with that. But. Dreadful. But you can see how far wrong you can go with this material. You can see where if you are so sort of reverent and sort of... That, that thing turned into basically a bad television movie mm. you know although it got a full cinematic release so it's to credit the director and the performers here that this thing holds together as such a cohesive whole and yeah hits you in on an emotional level not just as a as a piece of sort of I just think it's, it's, it's one of those films that just works on every level from from the technical standpoint as I said it looks beautiful it's just it's a lavish production mm. to the performances to the emotional response it gets it's it's an early contender for film of the year for me and i mean of course we talked about this afterwards but there are there are bits that are i think handled pretty well but tough because you've got stuff that is posited as like um uh news footage so it's got the sort of grainy look of of 1960s television and then you've got that set against 
high definition, you know, cinematic stuff mm. within the White House. And at a couple of points, it felt like it's very difficult to not make that look a bit choppy and inconsistent. Having said that, I think it was pulled off with a yeah. good deal of aplomb so that it doesn't become sort of an egregious problem in this thing. Yeah, yeah. as I said, you know, I, I, I can't speak I can't speak highly enough of Jackie. I, mm. I really can't. Um, and yeah, and it's it's yeah, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think it's going to definitely trouble our, our top tens when mm. it gets to the end of the year, unless we have an absolutely phenomenal twenty seventeen. And I'm all for that. Like, I yeah. hope I hope that it's then, struggling, so, but. Yeah. Yeah, really, really to be recommended. Don't be put off. Don't be put off by the fact that it might seem like it's another J. Edgar or yeah, Lincoln because it's not that. Don't be put off by that. Um, which brings us on a more positive note, although again, that's a fairly dark film, but uh, on a more positive note, it brings us to the credits. Mm. Um, now, the credits section, as I said, we, you know, we basically just pay reference to whatever we like as long as it relates to films. Yeah. Um, do you want to open the gambit or shall I open the gambit? Because mine's mine's silly this week. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I feel I'm definitely gonna lighten the tone yeah. with, with my contribution to I mean, this I, week. I'm but. happy to go first, Paul. I th- I think that mine this week is gonna sound way too broad, but I will try to explain. Um, I want to give credit to, <laughs> and, and I'm aware of the fact that I keep talking about them as if you know it's like my favourite company in the world. But I want to give credit to Netflix streaming and specifically Netflix streaming in the UK. The reason for that is that. The service here uh, in the UK launched in 2011, if I'm not mistaken, or 2012, maybe the start of 2012. It was while I was at university, so yes. Yeah, it was when I returned to the UK, just after I returned to the UK. So yeah, I I would say probably beginning of 2012. Um, And I remember at the time having a back and forth with, I won't say who, but a a fairly established journalist um, about the film journalist about the dearth of content in his opinion that there was on Netflix where he said look until this has whatever I want to watch at any time I'm not interested it's a waste of money to which I responded that he was completely out of touch because of the fact that you know for your entrance fee you're getting an awful lot of content you just have to go and look Mm. having said that at the time the selection was pretty thin and now we're at a point where I just think that for one, we have a list which to people like you and I is essential. That yeah. didn't come in for like a year. Yeah. That took a load of berating on Twitter before that, that was added and it's been in the US service for a long, long time. We've had a lot more content and I think we've had better curated content to the point where if your interests are slightly outside of just the mainstream, you're catered for. I want to know what you think about this, Paul, because obviously you're a user of the service as well. I've got a problem though with Netflix, as much as I'm paying credit to them at the moment. We used to have a facility whereby you could go into any subgenre, for example, you go into horror, and then you could filter your results based on rating, the predicted yeah. rating that Netflix give for you know the algorithm of how much you might like a film. It's been taken away now. I have no idea why. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, um, but, but have you noticed that? Is that a thing that, that's... I, tend, I still tend to consume most of my films on Blu-ray. Blu-ray, Blu-ray purist. Well, to be um, fair, last time wrong, I, you, I, you I gave like credit Netflix. to that last time, so it makes yeah, sense. You know, I, you know I, I like Netflix. I like Netflix a lot. Um, I wish, I wish they could. So I wish Sky didn't exist in the UK, so Netflix could have the licenses to all the stuff they have on the US. 
uh, site, which is a better selection. But no, I'm, I'm, you know, well, I'm and, fully And think about, Netflix. you know, last point here, but think about the fact that Netflix originals have been pushed a lot harder in the last sort of 12 months than they ever were previously. And we've had things like the new series of Black Mirror, which we talked about on the show, mm-hmm. uh, funded at least in part by Netflix. Yeah. And so brought onto sort of a larger scale, bigger actors, bigger production yeah. because of what they've done. We've had Netflix original films and TV shows. So, you know, more power to them. There needs to be healthy competition. I think Amazon's interface is a little bit of a mess. I'd like Netflix to have a short film section. That would be great. Yeah, that'd be great. I think that would be very I think that would be a neat idea if Netflix had a short film selection. That would be that would be and be a nice platform for up and coming filmmakers to yeah. to to aspire to get onto Netflix. Absolutely. Well, well you know, cool. one thing I do like about the Amazon service, the Amazon Prime Video streaming service, is the fact they have this uh, pilot season where it's the viewers of the pilot yeah, who vote for what, goes vote forward, for yeah. what ends up. Yeah. yeah and I think that, cool, that yeah. kind of uh, audience based um, uh, yeah, sort of promotion of, of whatever is the new thing or what people want. Yeah, it has its downside. It can mean that what we get is kind of a, you know, it fits the most people and that's yeah. not necessarily the best thing. But it's an interesting development. It'd just be interesting to see where Netflix, Amazon yeah. and the others go from here. We've had things like that. I think it's called Giada or something like that. The the Netflix of horror, which has been yeah. Uh, yeah. launched recently. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see where we go from here. But yeah. Netflix, yeah, get on it. Uh, Paul, what have you got? <laughs> well, as I said, I'd lighten the tone. Uh, and this relates back to our night out in Cheltenham last night, Pete, in fact. So, um, <laughs> yes. I think after tequila number two or three, mm. um, we came up with a game. And those of you who know me will know that I'm, 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 a fan of, uh, I'm a fan of busting a move, shall we say. Paul likes a dance. I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at it, but I, I do enjoy a dance. So well, he we, lacks in time. So he makes up for enthusiasm. Yeah, I think that's fair, yeah. I'll take that. So... So basically, I want to pay credit to to film related drinking games in specific. I said because we created one last night where we combined my passion for dancing with my passion for film, and I had to dance a film. Let's and be people fair, had to we it. had to. I think it went we around, the, to, yeah, around well, the group yeah, for a while. Yeah, in fairness, everyone did get involved after a while. So we ended up trying to dance out a razor head and dance out the passion, which is what I'm particularly proud of. Yeah, we're sort of like a um, dance charades. Yeah, it, it, ended, it kind of ended up in charades, but. So, so regarded. This was in a pub, to, by the yeah, way. This, this, this was in a pub in front of people. But I kind of what I want to pay credit to is film-related drinking games. Yeah. Um. For example, I remember I've got fond memories of being at university when we decided to watch all of the Lord of the Rings films back to back, which is a quite an accomplishment in its own right. And uh, we decided to play the Return of the King drinking game, where every time the ring was shown or mentioned, you had to take a drink. Every time there was a swoop and area shot, you had to take a drink. Every time there was sexual tension between Frodo and and Sam, you had to take a drink. And uh, I've got a fond memory of being the first 15 minutes um, someone that I went to university with who should remain nameless to row up on my bed. Mm. Um, and then I remember playing a drinking game to Halloween where I had no idea that Michael Myers drives a car so much in Halloween. And that was the one rule is every time Michael Myers drives a car, you have to take a drink. So, yeah, just credit to film drinking well, games. Well, if we, if we um, it's a bit spontaneous here, Paul, but if we were to make up for our features today, drinking games, I'm going to posit Jackie, I don't know if you've got a better one, would be every time Natalie Portman's wearing a different outfit, oh, yeah. that would be a drink. Yeah. What about Split? What could be a drinking game for Split? Every time he has a different voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every time he's a different personality. You go, yeah. yeah. We, you know, drink responsibly uh, when the fun stops, stop. And every, all time, those kinds every, of time, every time Split is better than The Happening. No, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't drink that much, to be honest. So, yeah, it's just a bit of a throwaway, light-hearted credit. 
Yeah, um, and, just just to, and just of to course, wrap us up on a slightly uh, slightly more light-hearted note, I think. And of course, if you've got your own suggestions, you know, if people, if our drinking games sound rudimentary and dull, like, let us know. What uh, do we'll, you do? We'll play them. Yeah, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Fire your suggestions our way. But that leaves us to say uh, little more than the fact that you can get in contact with us as ever at Strangers Cinema on that there Twitter. In addition, we've got the Facebook page, Strangers in Cinema. We've got um, an Instagram page. We've got all the shows on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com forward slash Strangers in a Cinema. Paul, anything that I've forgotten? No. No, I think that's it. Well, that's it, yeah. In that case, uh, it's goodbye from me, Pete, and... uh, And goodbye from me, Paul. See you next time.